Well, good morning, church. So good to see you all here. My name is Jesse, and if you're new here, uh, no, I'm not the pastor, uh, just to get that clear. Um, But it is my privilege to uh, be filling in for Adam today as we kick off a new sermon series here at Bridgewater called Open House, and it's going to take us through the next four Sundays. So the focus of this uh, series is to take a tour, if you will, through the house that is Bridgewater Church, and to walk through what we are all about here. In this series, we're going to be talking about our mission, we're going to be talking about our values and our approach, and we're going to see how all of those things tie back to uh, Jesus' final statement in the book of Matthew, where he gives one job, just one job, to his followers. So if you are new to our church, let me just say, this is a fantastic time to be joining us. Uh, And we hope you stick around to hear the rest of the messages in the sermon series. And uh, if you've been here for a while, if you've been coming to Bridgewater for, you know, for months or years, um, this is going to be a great opportunity for you to better understand what you are a part of and why we do what we do here. Now, I'm especially excited to be kicking off uh, this series with you today, because if you're anything like me, um, when you first walk into a church like Bridgewater, you might have, uh, you know, a few questions. You might be a little skeptical of, of what this new place is about. And you might have some questions like, you know, what, what, is, what is this place's uh, purpose? Like, what are they all about? Your questions might be, uh, will I feel comfortable here? Will I like the people? Will, will it feel like home after a little while? You know, you might ask that question you know, while I like the music, you know, some of you were probably where you're parking for that first time, you're walking in, and you hear that music blaring from the street, right? It's coming right through the walls, and you're like, is this place going to be one of those, like, real loud churches where everybody's, like, yelling and screaming? You walk in the lobby, and you might ask the question, you know, is this one of those churches that has just that really awful coffee, you know? Like, that really cheap stuff, they're just, like, super cheap, Right? Or you might come in and sit down in a seat like this in the, in the sanctuary and, and, and look up here and you might say, well, is the preaching going to be any good? Um, I'm going to tell you, we're going to find that out together or today, right? <laughs> we're going we're gonna to go down that road together. The last question, you know, the one I had, I certainly did the first couple weeks that I came to Bridgewater. My question was, why are there about 15 people with name badges on with about a 20-foot space Wishing me good morning, want to shake my hand, and smiling really big, right? Well, I, we've all got questions about, about church and, and what it's about. And uh, one thing I can tell you uh, from my own experience is that this church is very intentional uh, about why we do what we do. And I'll be honest with you, it's the reason that my family and I are here. My wife, Sarah and my kids, Emma and Ethan, we walked through uh, those doors right there about two years ago. And uh, after we, we realized that God was kind of calling us as a family to a new step on our own journey. And I was immediately struck by the, uh, the mission and the values that were so clearly projected in this church. You know, we walk into the lobby and you see those values statements on the wall. Um, the mission and values are preached here very often you hear it on the, or you see it on the website, <laughs> you see um, it in all the materials, right? It's very clear. This church operates from a clearly defined purpose, a clear calling. And as you'll see, it's not 
one that just kind of a, a bunch of people, when they launch in this Bridgewater concept, it wasn't just from them kind of sitting around a table and saying, you know, like, what's going to work? Like, what, what will make a good church? What will bring people to the doors? Um, that's not what it was about. You can see that it's, it's uh, all tied back to this one job, this one job that Jesus gave all of his followers that comes directly from the end of the last chapter of the book of Matthew. But sometimes, you know, before we get into all that, we just have to say, you know, sometimes even when we have one clear job, we still manage to kind of mess it up. Are you everybody like that at your workplace where it's like, you know, you had one job, Bob, one job, and you didn't get it right, right? So the problem is when we only have one job and we don't get it right, sometimes uh, we tend to send mixed signals, you know, when people kind of mess up their, their one job, right? Or we can end up maybe generalizing a little bit when we should be more specific, <laughs> you know? Although 78 cents a pound, I don't think it's too bad, right? Um, you know, we can also cause confusion when, when there should be clarity. Or we can give people just the wrong information overall. Just, just totally disregard facts and truth, right? We can do that too. We can lose credibility, finally, for our message <laughs> if we don't live it out ourselves. So, you know, when Jesus gave this one job to his followers, it was his last recorded words in the book of Matthew before he ascended back to the Father in heaven. And last words have power. Last words have meaning. And they say last words are lasting words. They have a special weight. Last words are often remembered. <clears throat> and I want to maybe ask a kind of a, a side question, but you'll see where I'm going this, with this. Um, who here either has or had an awesome grandmother? Yeah, I see lots of, lots of people. Uh, who here is an awesome grandmother? Yeah? Yeah. Loud and, you can be proud about that. That's good. That's good. Yeah, grandmothers are, are pretty special in my book. And, uh, and I had an awesome grandmother. Uh, that's a picture of her up there. Um, her name is Letty. And, uh, you know, Letty was, was just, we had such a special connection. And she was a, a really special woman. Um, and she was one of those people who just seemed to have this especially close relationship with Jesus. She, she talked to him like he was in the room all the time, right? She talked about him. Uh, like he was in the room. Uh, she always, whenever we spoke, she had a story about what he was teaching her, and she was excited about that, what he was doing in her life, how good he was. That's just kind of who she was, right? And um, I wasn't the only one who noticed this. Um, sadly, she, she did pass away a few years ago. Um, and at her funeral, we all had an opportunity to share stories about her and, and just talk about the impact that she had on our life. And um, at the end, after all the family had spoke, a, a younger guy asked to come up and speak, and he was from her local church. And he said, you know, I always noticed that she just had this, like, this such a close relationship with the Lord. Um, and I just wanted to ask her, how did you cultivate that? Like, what's your secret? And, and so he sat down with her one time, and he asked her that question. He said, well, you know, how are you so close to the Lord, right? And, like, all of us were kind of, like, at the edge of our seats. We're like, this is, like, we're going to get a secret here. We're going to get the, the re secret recipe for what... What she, what she did, because all of us were thinking the same thing. And, and she looked at him, and she, she kind of thought for a little bit, and she said, well, 
I talk to him about everything, and I thank him for everything. And that was it, right? That was all. That was the whole big secret. She's, and, uh, and he told that story, and everybody just walked away and said, you know what, that, just how meaningful it was, because it really summed up her simple, pure relationship that she had with the Lord. She talked to him about everything. She thanked him for everything. And this simple statement is stuck with me, you know, as her grandson since she passed away. And I think Jesus also wanted his last words to be just as simple and just as clear. And so the passage that we're going to look at is the foundation, not really only for this series that we're going to be talking about for the next four weeks, um, but also for the church. And not just Bridgewater Church, but the church, right? So let's look at the first part of this passage together. In Matthew 28, 18, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So, you know, Jesus at this point had died and been crucified, rose from the dead. He's speaking to his disciples. And he says, you know, I can literally at this point, I can do anything I want because all authority in heaven and earth is mine. And so he could have at that point, he could have started a big, you know, political or military movement. He could have thrown off the oppression of Rome on the Jewish people. He could have taken it even further. He could have, you know, through just sheer power of his authority, created uh, a kingdom across all the, the earth and just said, I'm, I'm the king. I'm going to run things the right way. He could have started a whole new economic system where he said, you know what, that hunger and poverty stuff, like, that's done. Because the way I'm going to do it, nobody's going to be without. But what does he actually do? This is so interesting, right? What does he actually do? He starts this thing called the church uh, with 11 mostly uneducated guys. And let's be honest, there's probably a couple of them who are still living in their parents' basement at the time, right? He tells them to go out and do one thing, to make disciples. And to be clear, this is important because it's not just a command or a great commission, as some call it, to, to those 11 people at that time. This is a, a, a one job that he's given the church, all of us, every follower of Jesus Christ, including the ones that are sitting here in this building today. Matthew 28, 19 says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So before we go any further, I think it's, uh, it's, it's probably a good idea to define the word disciple because it's kind of what we're talking about, right? It's in the mission. It's, in, it's the foundation of this message is to make more disciples. So what does a, being a disciple mean? In Jesus' time, a disciple was someone who received teaching from and actively followed a teacher or a rabbi, right? So let's be clear. Being a disciple was not like this like passive thing. It wasn't like the teacher just said, here's your homework assignment for the month. It wasn't like, a, you know, hybrid school where the teachers kind of check in once in a while and hopefully the assignments are done, right? My kids were on that and they did not do their work. All right, let's just be honest. But, you know, it wasn't just this passive thing. This was a very active thing. You get this idea of the disciple, the student, kind of sitting at the feet of the rabbi or the teacher and just waiting for that knowledge to be uh, to be dropped to them, that wisdom to be um, invested in them. The disciple was also an active follower. 
It's an active follower. So, you know, teachers in those days, a lot of times they would travel around, right? So where the, where the teacher went, where the rabbi went, the disciple, the follower went too. That was part of the deal. It was this active commitment. <laughs> and we see that in the life of Jesus and his disciples. Uh, and remember, at this time, Jesus could have done anything he wanted. He said he had all authority, right? Even before this, he was raising people from the dead. He was healing the sick. He was uh, creating huge buffet lunches and open fields with some kids lunchable, right? He was doing all this stuff that were just great miracles. But what does he do when he could have done anything? He chooses to pick, at that time, 12 men and to disciple them for three years, to teach them for three years, to, to live life with them for three years. You know, we always talk about small groups here. It's kind of a big deal if you've been, been here. Uh, you know, Jesus was a hardcore small group leader. Like, that was what he was, right? He was invested in these, these guys. So when we look at this verse again and we see that main command, the one job, uh, if you will, that's laid out is really to duplicate or to multiply the amount of people who are actively growing in knowledge of and following Jesus, right? To actively multiply the number of people who are growing in knowledge of and following Jesus. He's basically saying, hey guys, what I did for you, you know, this last three years when we did all this cool stuff together, you followed me all over the place, go do that for others. And let's, let's keep this going. You know, I was in a meeting uh, last, last week after the second service, and I see Doc Bixby over here. Um, you know, Doc was talking and, and sharing some things with us, and he, he, uh, he made a statement that, that kind of stuck with me, and I thought it really summed up what we're talking about. He said, you know what, a strong and biblical church is one where everybody is involved in helping somebody take a next step towards or with God. So I'm going to say that again. A strong and biblical church is one where everybody is involved in helping somebody taking next step towards or with God. Doc, I hope I got that kind of right. I paraphrase maybe a little bit. But, um, you know, I just, again, I just thought that was a, a great summary of, of what we're trying to, to be about here, what we're talking about. But how do we do that? What's involved in that, that process? <clears throat> well, Jesus says, you know, first, to make disciples, we must go. We must go. Matthew 28, 19 says, therefore, again, go and make disciples of all nations. And Jesus basically said to them, you know what? You're not going to make more disciples by just like sitting around and staring at each other and talking amongst yourselves. You know, people aren't just going to think that's fun and attractive and, you're, and just come to you for that. And I think if you, you think about it, Jesus modeled this throughout his entire ministry. If we're honest, we we probably could admit that, you know, Jesus could have gone to one of the towns that, you know, nice little towns that he traveled to, like Cap Capernaum or Bethsaida or one of those places that we all hear about in the Bible. He could have probably, you know, planted a flag there and said, you know what, this is where, this is my home spot, right? This is the home spot for my ministry. And he could have bought a little land. He could have thrown up a bunch of tents. He could have cleared some land for camel parking, right? He could have done all this stuff and made it real attractive, he would have had some, some healing services. He would have given some exciting messages. And people would come from all over, right, just to, just to come to, to Bethsaida, where Jesus' church was, where, where his ministry was. But, you know, he didn't do that. He didn't do that. Instead, he went. 
He traveled from place to place all the time. He went to where people were, and he met them doing their messy daily tasks, right? Like getting water from a well. Or when they're working, their smelly fishing nets or the dirty farming equipment with animals, right? Or when they were at their stalls, you know, selling things in the marketplace. Or when they, when they were going to their synagogues or their, their places of worship on, on, on the, the, the Sabbath, right? He was doing those things. Uh, he was going to where they were. He went to them. And guess what? You know, the church, you know, we, we're called to do the same. Uh, unfortunately and sadly, I think Christians uh, don't always do it that well. We don't always go out. And I'll give you a, I'll give you a personal example that, that I've noticed. So in my day job, um, I run an organization called NeighborWorks Northeastern Pennsylvania, and we uh, help people with all sorts of housing services, right, and um, help them fix homes and, and become homeowners, things like that. And one of the things that we do is we go out and try to help uh, seniors who are having trouble maintaining their properties. We organize volunteer groups, and we go out and, and we help fix their homes, right? So um, when we go into a community, we put the call out for volunteers and say, hey, like, we need help. We can't do this alone. Uh, we, need, we need people to, to kind of help us with this. Um, sadly, uh, one of the things I've noticed over the last 15 years is that we'll go into a community, a neighborhood, and we'll put the call out for volunteers, and uh, it's very, very rare. Uh, even though we do direct outreach to churches, it's very rare that we get a church who, who res- even responds to us. Like, we can't even, we can't get the their people, we can't get their pastors engaged, we, can't, we just can't get them. And, uh, and all the while, we're getting community groups and neighborhood associations and businesses and restaurants and bar owners and all sorts of people who are like, yeah, I'm going to help Mrs. Jones down the street because, you know, she's my neighbor, you know? And, uh, and we're, we're talking to the church that lives three doors down from her and we can't even get a response. Uh, and, and I only bring this up not to bash churches, but I'm saying, like, this is my lived experience. Time and time again, even some of my staff always say, you think it's even worth it to, work, to reach out to some of those churches because they never even get back to us? You know, to me, that's a tragedy. That is so sad that we're not going, that the church isn't going. And that's why we lead with this verse here at Bridgewater. It's why we stress it. It's our foundation. Here in Tunkhannock, you know what? It's also part of our roots here in Tunkhannock. Some of you may know this. Um, others may not. But this campus started with about 90 people who uh, agreed to come from other Bridgewater campuses and other communities to help start this church back in, in 2015, 2016. So 90 people kind of uprooted and came here to, to launch this church. So let me ask a favor. I don't know if we have anybody here today, but if, if you were one of those original 90, would you raise your hand? Yeah, we've got a lot here today. Can, can we thank them? Would you thank them for me? <laughs> It's awesome, right? And uh, let's, let's be clear. The rest of us, we're here because you, you went. You went. Uh, we're now over, averaging over 240 people every week uh, here in Tunkhannock. So let's not miss this. You know, 90 people, including many in this room, did something that was really not very easy, right? You left, you left the church that you knew. You left possibly family members. You left friends. You left small groups. You, mess, you left some familiar, familiar uh, you know, people and the comfort of a, a place that you were a part of to go 
and to make more and better disciples right here in Tunkhannock. But I want to say, like, this is how it happens. This is what it's all about. Bridgewater intentionally takes these steps to try to live out this command. And as a result, we're seeing people's lives changed. Next, uh, Jesus is saying is that after going, the second step in making disciples is to baptize, to baptize. So Matthew 28, 19 says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So let me say this. Some of you may not come from backgrounds. Um, I didn't either. Uh, or churches where, where baptism was like a big thing. You know, you may have come from a background that, um, you know, baptism was something that was kind of done to infants or um, it really wasn't something that got a lot of attention at church. But here at Bridgewater, you know, uh, if you haven't noticed, bapt- baptisms are kind of like a main attraction, right? It's a really, really big deal. And we believe it's a really big deal uh, because we believe that biblical baptism really symbolizes three things. We believe it symbolizes submission to Christ. We believe it symbolizes a willingness to live God's way in the, in the participant. And we believe it symbolizes identification with the rest of God's people. But think about this for a second, though. The command to baptize is to the disciples, to the church. He's saying you have to go and baptize. So does this mean that Jesus is saying, you know, all of us need to go, like, find somebody and try to dunk them forcibly in, in uh, you know, in water somewhere? Uh, of course not. But in the context of making disciples, saying is that, you know, you need to go and you need to walk with people and you need to help them see their need to make this public step that identifies them with me. That's what you need to do. Uh, last week... During the first first service, uh, we saw this happen. Kurt Goglin, who's here today, uh, he had the opportunity to baptize Ron Furman, uh, which was awesome. So if anybody saw that, you know what I'm talking about. Um, uh, Ron was in Kurt and Amanda's uh, small group, and uh, Ron said, you know what, I I want Kurt to be the guy who, who actually baptizes me. Isn't that awesome? But that's what we're talking about, right? That's actually living out this command. You know, I remember the opportunity that, that I had um, at a previous church to baptize my own kids. And it was one of the most amazing experiences of, of my life, right? And many of you have been baptized here or, or other places, or you've seen loved ones baptized, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's this kind of special experience where, uh, you, know, you know, God ordains it, and we get to celebrate and see and be a part of that. But remember, baptism is not salvation. That comes earlier. But it's that bold, outward step that shows obedience and public commitment. And so here at this church, uh, we seek to follow Jesus' command to baptize by encouraging and helping people to be intentional about taking this step yourself. And so I know we've had a number of baptisms here over the last couple of months, which is awesome. You saw some on the screen from all across Bridgewater from last week. Um, we have another really exciting one coming up later uh, this month, which is great. Uh, George Uhas uh, is going to be baptized on the men's kayak trip in the Susquehanna River. Um, so that is going to be awesome. Men, if you can be a part of that, we'd love to have you there. It's on the Saturday morning of the trip. I know Phil mentioned uh, some details about that. There's 
more information out there, but we're going to actually see and experience a baptism not here in the sanctuary, but out in the river, right? I think that's how it was intended back in the day, right? To go to it down in the river, right? I know there's lots of songs about that, at least. But um, that's what it's all about, right? It's about people whose lives are being transformed and then who decide to stand up and publicly proclaim and identify as a follower and disciple of Jesus Christ. And so we want to celebrate that. We want to be intentional about that. We want to help people get there. And so let me, let me ask. I mean, you're here, you're sitting here. You, you know, maybe your next step is to get baptized yourself. Um, maybe your next step is uh, walking that person you've been thinking about through the process or walking beside them to help get them to this point. Maybe that's your step. Either way, baptism, as we saw in this verse, is a really critical part of the command. So the last part of Jesus' command uh, to make more disciples is to teach them to obey. Matthew 28, 20 says, In teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. So to obey means that this whole deal we're talking about, this isn't just like some intellectual pursuit that we get to, to, to kind of be a part of. Uh, there are lots of people and lots of churches, uh, unfortunately, I think, who, who focus on information um, at the expense of focusing on transformation. They can tell you a lot about, uh, a lot about God, a lot of interesting facts. There's scripture that's memorized. Uh, they've participated in all the the small groups and the Bible studies and the Sunday school lessons. Uh, but there's just one problem. Uh, they're not actually becoming more like Jesus. And they're not making more disciples. The emphasis is on gaining knowledge, not action. And the emphasis is on learning, not implementing. Right? So if you notice in this, uh, this command, Jesus doesn't say, you know, go and make disciples by teaching them a whole lot of really detailed information about scripture and history so they know a lot. That's not really the command, right? He doesn't say, go make disciples and teach them how to protect themselves from worldly influences. That's really not the message either, right? He doesn't say, go and make disciples and teach them to defend their constitutional rights. Now, that's, that's what he's saying. He's saying, teach them to what? To obey. To obey. And to obey what? His commands. So we see that here. He's saying obedience is a top priority. It's a top priority. Matthew 7, verse 24 says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and obeys me is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. So the foundation of the house that is Bridgewater Church is obedience to Jesus' command to go and make disciples. That's why our mission here is to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. So have any of you ever heard of this, uh, this group of people in the Bible called the Pharisees? Maybe? Yeah, you might have heard a thing or two about them. Um, you know, how, how did Jesus usually respond to that group of people? Was he like super encouraging to them? Was he like, hey, you know what? You guys are pretty great. Because you spend a whole lot of time studying and, and learning all the laws and memorizing all that stuff. 
You even like made your own rules and laws on top of those, so you were going for some extra credit there, which was pretty cool. You know, you, you learn all these things and you know a whole lot. God is really, really pleased with you for all that you do. Now, right, that's not it. That is not how he, he did In fact, he actually re- reserved some of his harshest criticism for people like that who had all of this information, all of this knowledge, but didn't actually use it in obedience. In John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. In John, John chapter 15, verse 14, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. So obedience is, a, is, is what connects us to him, that relationship. And I think sadly, you know, there are people who spend their whole lives gaining knowledge about Jesus, but not doing anything with it. And just as sad as that many of us, I think, have spent uh, some time at, at churches uh, who don't really ask much of us in the way of obedience. Church becomes more about comfort, Uh, instead of life change and making more disciples. Uh, Before too long, you have just kind of what turns out to be a a religious club that kind of feels good to be a part of, um, but that really isn't engaging in that one job that Jesus gave us. Um, Alternatively, though, the good news is that I think, you know, when it comes to obedience, uh, this is also what makes Christianity so accessible to everyone. You don't need to know a lot. Right? You don't need to know a lot. And I'm convinced, I really am, that, I, I, that Jesus would probably prefer a, a whole room full of people with kind of like a kindergartner's level of knowledge about the Bible and about him who actually obeys the things he said and the things that they understand than to have a room full of people with a you know, doctorate from, from Bible school uh, who know a lot but don't really obey what they know. And why is that? Why is that? Why, why do I think that? Because I think that those who are obeying what little they know uh, with authenticity is always going to do more to spread the good news and to bring people in. Always. And if I'm honest, I think I've gone through stages in my own life where I've been very focused on just kind of taking in information. Um, you know, reading books and listening to podcasts and sermons and all this kind of stuff. And when I kind of look back on it, Um, You know, if I'm honest, and and maybe you've been in this situation too, um, I usually do that. I usually go full speed into that when I'm trying to avoid something that God's like, you really need to fix this. You need to obey me here. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's cool, God, but, you know, I'm going to learn more about you over here. I'm going to learn, you know, what, what... what, where Jesus grew up and, you know, all these other interesting facts. I'm going to spend my time listening and learning. Um, all the while, he's like, no, nah, do this one thing, do this one thing, do this one thing, right? But I'm ignoring that because I'm just trying to take in information. I, it makes me feel like I'm doing something, right? But he's saying, look, teach, teach them to obey. And it's not just about that information. It's about obeying because that's what transforms your life and the lives of others. So, Let's take a minute here today as we, as we close, uh, maybe just to talk a little bit about what our mission is not or isn't here at Bridgewater. What is not our mission? So our mission is not just to create a nice religious club, you know? We have some somewhat comfy seats and things like that, but, the, you know, it, it's not just about trying to pull people in um, and, and just kind of have a place where people feel comfortable. Our mission is not just about 
you know, having awesome modern music, which we do, uh, or polished video production, or creating a cool brand that people throughout the region recognize just so that more people um, are a part of it. So yes, you know, the good news is that the church has grown um, pretty significantly, you know. Back in, um, I think, 2010, about, as you can see, about 400 people, um, we've grown over almost 1,000 attendees across all the campuses in the last decade. You know what, that's a really, really big deal for a region like ours. That's, that's not a small task, right? That's God blessing over and over again. But you know what, we're not just about growth for growth's sake. So we can be bigger and more busy and, uh, and show everyone else how great we are and, and that our model works or anything like that. Who cares? Who cares? Right? That's just not what this is about. You know, if I asked you, maybe to illustrate that, if I asked you, how many of you wish there were 100 more people here this morning in this service? Uh, you'd probably think, well, yeah, that'd be great. Um, but, you know, it'd probably be a little harder to park and um, find a parking spot. And you know what? Um, I always like to sit in this one row. If they got here earlier than me, maybe I, you know, I wouldn't get my seat. You know, the coffee would be gone maybe. I don't know. It, it's, it's, you know, this nameless kind of faceless numbers um, when we're thinking of those 100 people, that's just a whole different scenario, right? But if I asked you, uh, how many of you wish you had a friend or a family member or a neighbor who isn't here sitting right next to you today? Um, I hope every hand would go up. Um, I hope every hand would come up. Because our foundation here is really to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. And we do that by going to where people are outside of these walls. And we do that by walking along with people on their own journey to make their own public declaration as followers of Jesus. And we do that by teaching and helping each other to obey the commands that Jesus has given each of us. So remember, I said this a little earlier, a strong and biblical church is one where everybody is involved in helping somebody take a next step towards our with God. I hope you are all thinking of how you can be a part of that today. So over the next four weeks, we're going to continue to talk about uh, the, how this church is structured uh, to both help you grow and to help you help somebody else uh, to take their next step as well. And obviously, we've got these great Sunday morning services, uh, which are kind of foundational where we share practical teaching and, and awesome praise uh, and worship time. Uh, we also have this concept we're going to be talking about, which is the front porch, where we focus on how we welcome guests, how we interact with the community and bring people into this, uh, you know, to this ministry. There's also the living room, which we talk a lot about here. Uh, small groups and events and other things where where, you know, things are taking place outside of these walls where people are doing life together, learning from each other, encouraging each other to obey and take their next step. That happens in that close, those close relationships. And then we're going to talk about the kitchen, uh, where, you know, we try to create this space where people can uh, actively engage and serve and work and get involved in what we do uh, as we try to expand God's kingdom. So we truly hope you'll join us for the rest of the series in the weeks to come. Would you close with me in prayer? Father God, we thank you so much just for the opportunity to be here, uh, for the opportunity to participate in a service like this. Uh, we especially thank you for 
all of the people who answered that call and went, um, who allowed us to be here, uh, who went before us. Father, the people who helped start this church, um, but even for hundreds and thousands of years before that, uh, who, who went and answered this call so that your church is what it is today. Uh, we just ask that you would show us our part in that and give us the courage and the faith uh, to live it out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.